When it comes to flattening the worry curve, Canadians aren't immune from their state of mind being impacted by the pandemic. Hello and welcome to the Unpublished Cafe. I'm Ed Hand. We're coming to you from a remote location and practicing physical distancing to enhance safety. It's been about six weeks since the country was effectively locked down as COVID-19 spread. We've been in emergency situations before in this country, such as the ice storm, wildfires out west, the floods in Calgary. But this goes coast to coast with an enemy you really can't see. And unlike the financial crash of 08, this one's a virus spreading without a vaccine. Abacus Data has been gauging how we're coping with this new reality. And David Coletto is the CEO, and he joins us now. And David, with, uh, with your research, how worried are Canadians when it comes to this pandemic? Well, there's still a great deal of concern out there. Um, we just finished a survey earlier this week that found 34% of Canadians say they're either extremely worried or worried a lot about coronavirus, and another uh, 30 or 40 percent, you know, are, are worried to some extent. So this is broad-based and 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 persists. But what we have noticed is this is the first week in our tracking that that most intensely worried number is down. It's down seven points from earlier in April. And so I, I do think you know we saw a rapid rise in the in and concern over the course of a few weeks, as as you said, as we got into this lockdown and it became real to a lot of people really quickly. I now think we are firmly in a, the next phase of this, which is one that's much more about coping and trying to figure out what's next as opposed to reacting uh, to the fear and the uncertainty of those first few weeks of this hitting us. When you when you talk about the fear and uncertainty with the people you were talking to, were, were those fears predominantly about money? It was mixed, actually. I think at mm-hmm. first it was uh, much more about the health um, worry. Am I going to get this? Is someone I love going to get this? Um, is our health system prepared to deal with it in, in terms of either PPE, personal protective equipment, whether it's hospital beds, ICUs, ventilators? You know, those stories in those first few weeks were, were really all about whether we could handle it. I now think that more of the concern is about the economic impact, both for those that have been intensely affected. They've lost their job. Someone they love has lost their job. Um, But also to a wider group of people who may not have been affected yet, they're looking longer term and saying, I'm still unsure uh, the depth that this is, uh, you know, the depth of the economic deterioration this is going to create, the impact it's going to have on my family, on my retirement, on my ability to get a job. If I'm, for example, a student about to graduate, all of those things now are starting to take shape. And so the anxiety is moving one where we're fearing for our personal safety and a health to one where we're now much more worried about what the long-term implications is this going to be on, on the economy and therefore other forms of, of mental, emotional, and, and physical health too, because the two, I think, are, are intertwined. Self-isolation and physical distancing are the, the new norms in, in our world. And when COVID-19 arrived, how many were prepared uh, the, the Canadians you talked to, to actually hunker down for two weeks? Well, we, we tracked this for two, two waves of our research. And, you know, at first, in that first survey we did about just, just after um, sort of, as you said, the lockdown really started where we were forced to work from home and, and, and much of, you know, the retail world was, was, was locked down. More people than not said they thought they were at least somewhat prepared for this. Um, but there was a sizable number. You know, I would say 40% of Canadians would say, I don't think I'm prepared for a two-week, if I was forced into isolation for two weeks uh, because either I was in contact with somebody uh, with the virus or I, or I traveled or I came home from March break or something like that. 
But I think over time, we also see in some of the sales data, we see it in, in some of the consumer trends we're tracking, that that initial burst to sort of stock up on paper products and, and canned goods and flour um, has subsided, right? And I think now people can see at least the light at the end of the tunnel. They recognize that, you know, grocery stores are not going to be shut down, that, in, that the opposite might start happening in which some, of, some other retailers might open up. But I, but I do think that there was a moment, part of this fear cycle, where people were started stocking up, piling in a way, because mm. there was so much uncertainty about how deep would the lockdown be? Would we be headed towards more of an Italian kind of response as opposed to what we ended up with, which was lockdown, but not full? David Coletto is joining us on the Unpublished Cafe. He's the CEO of Abacus Data as we discuss some of their uh, polling and surveying of Canadians in the midst of COVID-19. And they say information is power. And I wonder how many Canadians were spending time in, online or, or watching television about the pandemic. Did you take a look at that? We did. And, you know, I've been doing public opinion research for about 15 years now, and at no point um, over that period, have I seen the level of interest that Canadians are reporting in terms of how closely they're following the story? And not just, you know, as soon as it happened, but over the course of six weeks, we still have 73% of Canadians who say they're following the story closely. Um, and it's how they're doing it, as you said. Um, in, in a survey we did um, two weeks ago, two thirds of Canadians said that they were tuning in daily to watch Canadian TV news about this story. Um, 40% were often Googling um, or, or looking on Facebook or, or on news websites um, about this story. The, the, the ability to bring people together in a way and consume media from, from single sources is something we hadn't seen for a long time because our media landscape had been fragmented. This story brought people together and, and we're starting to see that interest wane, but there's still, I mean, we, partly because we have a lot of us have nothing else to do. And so yeah. we are wanting to know what's next and wanting to plan. But on the other hand, I think if people are worried, if they're interested, they're going to want to see the information and feel that they, they have a good sense of what's going on. With, with so much time at home, internet use must be skyrocketing. It is. We just released a survey for shock communications that, that found, you know, 65% of Canadians saying they're using the internet way more than they usually do. But it's, it's also interesting how they're using it. You know, we, we, we found that millions of Canadians said over the last weekend, they streamed a live religious ceremony instead of going to a church or a mosque or a synagogue, that they were having dinner with family or friends over a video chat. That's something that, um, you know, people weren't doing. I, I had Good Friday dinner, which is a tradition with my family that we had done for 38 years in person. This is the first time we did it using zoom um and so i and, and so there's you know the internet i think has increasingly over our lifetime um and and certainly in the last few years become so much more essential to everything we do now that so many canadians are working from home they're learning from home it is um so important and this is that moment where i think canadians at least in the survey research we're telling us have said um, i can't imagine having gone through this without that internet connection I know we're a ways off from any any election, but you're tracking voter intention right now. Where is it and why are you doing that right now? I didn't think that people would be really all that keen on talking about elections and party support. Yeah, and we, we do it because it's just part of our tracking. And then I've, I've released some numbers on, on my Twitter feed the last 
day or so. But, but the first point is the level of positive assessment that Canadians are making of all levels of government. In Ontario, you know, um, 80% think that the federal government is doing at least as well as can be expected. The same is true of the provincial government, even of their municipal government. I've not seen a time in which for such a long period of time, Canadians seemingly have rallied around their level of government, even if they typically may not like them or agree with them or vote for them. And so the implication of that is when we do ask people, you know, it's a federal election was today, how would you vote? The Liberals have an eight-point lead in our tracking over the Conservatives, which compared to three months ago is a much larger lead and much larger lead than they got in the last election where the Conservatives actually won more votes. So at least in the short term, I think people are viewing uh, the prime minister, like Doug Ford as well, uh, in a very different way than they normally would. And it doesn't mean that when an election time comes, um, this is going to you know, predict how they're going to vote down there. But it is a moment for these political leaders to, re- to get people to reassess them and to ask, how did you handle yourself and the decisions you've made in a crisis? And right now, most Canadians, most Ontarians are saying, I like what Mr. Trudeau's doing, and I have confidence, actually, in Mr. Ford, even if three months ago, almost most, most people in the province would say the complete opposite. So even Mr. Ford's transformation has been quite, quite remarkable in a short period of time. That it has. That it has. David, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure, Ed. Thank you. David Coletto is the CEO of Abacus Data. Canadians in general are concerned about the pandemic, and right now Canadian small business owners are scrambling to keep afloat. To find out more about what they're struggling with and what's being offered, I'm pleased to be joined by Dan Kelly, president of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. And Dan, first off, what percentage of your members are considering throwing in the towel right now? It is huge. Uh, Our last survey showed that 51% of small businesses are wondering if the current restrictions last until the end of May, whether they will be ever, ever be in business again. And that's uh, something we've never seen before. Is this all just because of the uncertainty or is it just the damage is so much damage has been done, they, they won't be able to rebound? For for different businesses, it's a different equation. But yes, uh, the main effect is that the damage that's happening right now to their business can can cause irreparable wounds. Uh, they are very worried about the fact that they're going to have months and months of bills to pay for, for periods that they were not open. For other businesses right now is when they make all their money, and that's got to last them through the year. Uh, tourism businesses are telling us, of course, that uh, they're very worried about uh, the fact that the tourism may not bounce back over the summer months, not only international tourists not coming, but Americans or, or even other Canadians perhaps being reluctant to travel. Uh, we have swaths of members that, members that are absolutely closed. Small businesses, uh, we estimate 80% of them are completely or partially shut down. Only 20% of Canada's business community remains open. In terms of the federal government, and it's been making announcements daily, uh, what has been the response for small business, and is it enough for your members right now? Look, there's some good programs that are out there. They took a while to get uh, to get together, and I think that that's one of the challenges that we're facing. Uh, in Canada, we have uh, several programs. The Canada Emergency Wage Subsidy is the biggest one. That That is paying 75% of wages if you're able to keep your employees on. The government will pick up the tab for 75% of the bill. 
there's a Canada Emergency Business Account that provides $40,000 loans. Uh, there are no interest loans, and you get to only repay 30000 of that loan, so you get to keep ten grand. And then, and then very recently, the government announced rent support. Now, that rent support is for the hardest-hit businesses. Uh, it's going to amount to paying 75% of the rent bill. Uh, the landlord will take a cut, but the federal government will pick up about 50% of the tab. The tenant will only pay about a quarter of their rent. Unfortunately, all of these programs have really significant restrictions around who can use them. And so we're finding that a lot of businesses, particularly very, very small firms, those that pay with dividends, uh, self-employed people, unfortunately are not eligible for many of the programs and as a result uh, are at most risk of going down. I think about, for example, the personal services sector, nail salons, hair salons. Mm. Uh, they don't qualify for most of the programs. They, they actually are typically renting chairs to other independent contractors in their business and as a result don't qualify really for anything, uh, perhaps just the rent subsidy. But if you've got your business entirely shuttered, you're not able to serve a single client for months and months, that's going to be a pretty big hill to climb when you, have, when you try to reopen. And for many, they may uh, be in risk of, of permanent closure as a result. Dan Kelly joining us on the Unpublished Cafe. He's president of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. As we hear, uh, well, close to 80% are uh, considering throwing in the towel, considering the uh, the lockdown in Canada right now. And, you know, when we do see this thing start to lift, I, I mean, this is me just, I, you know, guessing. I think there's going to be more cost for small business because there's going to be new ways of having to do businesses or not. Sure. Look, there are some innovations that are happening uh, right now. Uh, many of them come with their own costs. Uh, but but look, on the optimistic side, many businesses have been hustling to put their businesses online. They know they've needed to do it for some time, just haven't had the, the, the chance. Uh, and, and with the shutdown, they've been forced to do that. Shopify has some really good systems that, that have been helping lots of small businesses in the breach. Um, uh, so there may be some innovations and stronger businesses coming out of this as a result of some of the innovation that's happening right now. You certainly see that in the restaurant sector where with Uber Eats and Skip the Dishes, costly as they are, they are providing at least a trickle of income to, to, to some business owners. That Those kinds of things, one imagines, are going to be at a much bigger scale. More businesses looking at uh, employing people from their homes, uh, which of course has its challenges, but but some advantages. Uh, so, so there, you know, whenever there's adversary, adversity, there are innovations that are made, and some of those innovations will be kept. Um, but I really worry about what then, you know, once the restrictions are lifted, what is that going to look like? If we if we start to soften some of the rules as we move into May and June, is summer 20, 2020 going to be decent for for many businesses? You're going to have months of costs that you're going to have to make up, not just rent, and and with that. Are you going to have our customers going to be flooding back? Likely not. They're going to be trickling back to you as as social distancing, even without government restrictions, still uh, still something that is uh, is taking hold. Yeah, I think it's going to be with us for a while. Do your members want to see a widening of essential services so more of them can take part? You know, the essential services rules, uh, unfortunately, have have taken a, a real big bite out of uh, a lot of businesses. I think everybody was understanding in the first few weeks of this, the government needs to do a blunt thing and basically shut down the economy to stop the spread of COVID-19. But that was with the view that this was going to be a couple of weeks. If this is now a couple of months or, or many months, 
those social distancing rules that are in place right now do need to be tailored to the situation we're we're facing. Uh, you know, everybody can go without a few things for for a few weeks, but right now, many of our members are pointing out. Why is Costco and Walmart, why are they able to continue to sell frying pans? And why are they able to sell T-shirts when my little 1,000 square foot business is required to be shut down 100%? Uh, in fact, small businesses are telling me that they feel like they could play a role, positive role, in, in helping social distancing by, by allowing customers to come into very small uh, locations, uh, one at a time or a couple at a time. I think small firms can be part of the solution. And as this goes on, I think we need to, to start to do that more carefully. Um, it's interesting. Ontario and Quebec have the tightest rules, uh, also the most COVID uh, being spread. But British Columbia, through the entire challenge, has allowed a retail uh, to continue to operate uh, in a much, much reduced way, but in the, the same model that we're seeing in the grocery stores in, in, in many respects, that, that they limit numbers of people in there, they clean check stands in between. That's the kind of model that I think we're going to need if, uh, if this goes on very much longer. How do you see the pandemic affecting business practices in the future? Well, look, I would imagine that there's, you know, the, the push to online commerce will be uh, even more significant as, as many people have shifted that way through the pandemic and perhaps wished for that to continue. That is a challenge for a lot of small firms. They're, they're many, in many respects behind the eight ball uh, with respect to being able to serve customers online. And in fact, many people like to go to the small business because they can see a product and get some advice from somebody in the store. That's not going to go away, but one imagines that we're going to have uh, the social distancing practices are going to continue after the pandemic is over. Businesses are going to have to adapt to that. They're going to have to make sure that there is some capacity control in small firms. But, but this, again, I think that small firms can be part of the solution here. They naturally serve fewer customers per day than the big box stores with giant lineups. And, and so perhaps there may be a competitive advantage. More and more Canadians are also rethinking, geez, you know, do I need that product shipped to me from, from overseas? Maybe I should be patronizing my local guy who's in my backyard, uh, those little shops and, and stores that perhaps we, we bypass on our, on our trip to the big box store to get our weekly goods. Maybe more Canadians will be heading their way. Uh, so again, a grab bag of potential. I think I think smart firms are going to look at doing a combination of that, uh, trying to ensure that they have an online presence, delivery options, pickup options, as well as uh, ensure that they continue to do what they do best, and that is offer really high levels of service in store. Dan, I want to thank you for joining us. Most welcome. Dan Kelly's the president of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. While small businesses struggle to stay afloat, there is one group working and getting a pay hike, MPs. Joining us to discuss that and a long-term plan for getting us back, I'm pleased to be joined by Aaron Woodrick, federal director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. And, and Aaron, I think uh, some eyes were raised when uh, it was uh, mentioned that the MPs on the Hill are in line for a raise right now. Yeah, it's actually an automatic raise that it happens every April 1st. Uh, maybe it's fitting that it's April Fool's Day and the jokes on taxpayers, but it's been in place about 15 years. And this year, of course, obviously uh, terrible timing and a very bad look for MPs to be getting a pay hike while millions of Canadians are losing their jobs. So we asked them to, uh, to donate uh, their pay hike this year since they didn't have time to officially cancel it. The good news is more than half of them have agreed. So more than 200 MPs are going to donate their, their pay hike to charity this year. But you know, we do think they need to go even further now and look at a pay cut, considering what uh, most Canadians are going through. 
You said about uh, 200. Did you get any any responses from those who weren't willing to give it up? No, I mean, we've been, uh, we sent a bunch of emails, made a bunch of calls. Um, we haven't had anyone explicitly tell us that they're not donating it, uh, but we haven't been getting answers from some who we, who we clearly know have been asked the question. Now, you, you said you, you, you'd like to see them take a pay cut. You just want something symbolic or have you got a number in mind? Well, I think they should they follow the lead of uh, what we've seen some from international leaders. The Prime Minister of New Zealand cut her pay by 20%. Um, in Japan and India, members of parliament are taking 20 and 30% pay cuts for the next year. So I think those are the those are the ranges we should be looking at here. And look, some people say it, it doesn't make a big difference to the bottom line. I, I think it does for two reasons. Well, one, I think it's a powerful symbol. I think a lot of people at the best of times are not uh, big fans of politicians. And to see them do this would be a, a good show of solidarity. And more importantly, the, the amount of money we're spending right now, Ed, it's going to mean um, inevitable cuts down the road to, to government, uh, you know, more broadly. And if politicians are willing to show some leadership on that, it's going to make it a lot easier for them to make the case when they ask other people to, uh, to, to take some pain. Aaron Woodricks joining us on the Unpublished Cafe. He's the federal director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. And you have an open letter to all the parties. And, and the Federation is looking for what from them? Well, we're looking for a number of things. I mean, we want to make sure that they are they are being transparent, uh, that they are being open about uh, what they're doing right now. We recognize it's an emergency situation, so there's going to be some stuff that normally wouldn't happen that's going to have to happen. Uh, but that it needs to be, you know, it needs to be temporary. This is not the sort of thing we can afford to do forever. And we need a plan. After this is over, we are looking for some sort of long-term plan to get back to normal fiscal situation uh, because we are borrowing hundreds of billions of dollars right now, which as everyone knows, his board money eventually has to be paid back. No, that's for sure. That's for sure. But uh, like, how how fast do you want this plan to come into come into effect? Uh, like, just because you know we have no idea what the damage is or how long this is going to go on. Yeah, that's why it's going to be difficult, and I yeah. don't uh, I don't expect them to come up with a plan anytime soon. Uh, I, I am concerned that there are some uh, some folks who seem to think that the things we're doing now are things we can keep up forever. Uh, they're just not. Um, they're necessary now because we're in an unprecedented situation. But once we get back to something resembling normal, um, you know, we are going to have to find ways to, uh, to 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 shave things back down um, and get back to a balanced position, uh, you know, over the medium term. Medium term. So what are you looking at? Uh, eight years? Yeah, look, the, the, the real... Uh, Wild card is the economy. Um, how how mm. quickly will the economy bounce back? If it comes back well quickly and roaring back, I think we can do it sooner. If not, it's going to take a little longer. But uh, you know, we need to be we need to be honest with people that this is uh, we're doing what we need to do now to get by. But boy, it, it's not going to be painless after the fact either. No, no, it won't. But uh, do you think it's going to be a little more difficult when we're dealing with a minority parliament? Well, it depends. And again, this is when I come back to the MP mm. pay thing. If, if yeah. MPs show leadership and say, you know what, we get it. There's not enough. We know that uh, you've lost your job, you've lost your business. We can swallow a 20% pay cut. Um, and the same when they're talking to government employees. You know, there, there are hundreds of thousands of federal government employees. If, if politicians are going to ask them to take a reduction in pay or benefits or pension, they better be prepared to do it themselves first or, or they're going to have a difficult time convincing people. That's a good point. That's a very good point. Uh, Aaron, uh, I want to thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Ed. Aaron Woodricks, the federal director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation.
And that leads to our unpublished.vote question. If there was a federal election tomorrow, which party would you vote for? Liberal, conservative, NDP, Green, or Bloc? You can log on and vote right now at unpublished.vote. I want to thank David Coletto of Abacus Data, Dan Kelly of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, and Aaron Woodrick of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation for joining us on the Unpublished Cafe. And I want to thank you for listening. Stay safe. I'm Ed Hand.